The Law School of America The right of conquest is a right of ownership to land or immediate possession via force of arms. It was recognized as a principle of international law that gradually deteriorated in significance until its proscription in the aftermath of World War II following the concept of crimes against peace introduced in the Nuremberg Principles. The interdiction of territorial conquests was confirmed and broadened by the UN Charter, which provides in Article 2, Paragraph 4, that all members shall refrain in their international relations from the threat or use of force against the territorial integrity or political independence of any state, or in any other manner inconsistent with the purposes of the United Nations. Although civil wars continued, wars between established states have been rare since 1945. Nations that have resorted to the use of force since the Charter came into effect have typically invoked self-defense or the right of collective defense. History and Arguments Proponents state that the right of conquest acknowledges the status quo, and that denial of the right is meaningless unless one is able and willing to use military force to deny it. Further, the right was traditionally accepted because the conquering force, being by definition stronger than any lawfully entitled governance which it may have replaced, was, therefore, more likely to secure peace and stability for the people, and so the right of conquest legitimizes the conqueror towards that end. The completion of colonial conquest of much of the world, see the scramble for Africa, the devastation of World War I and World War II, and the alignment of both the United States and the Soviet Union with the principle of self-determination led to the abandonment of the right of conquest in formal international law. The 1928 Kellogg-Briand Pact, the post-1945 Nuremberg and Tokyo trials, the UN Charter, and the UN role in decolonization saw the progressive dismantling of this principle. Simultaneously, the UN Charter's guarantee of the territorial integrity of member states. Conquest and military occupation. Until 1945, the disposition of territory acquired under the principle of conquest had to be conducted according to the existing laws of war. This meant that there had to be military occupation followed by a peace settlement, and there was no reasonable chance of the defeated sovereign regaining the land. While a formal peace treaty makes good any defects in title, it was not required. Recognition by the losing party was not a requirement, the right of acquisition vested by conquest did not depend on the consent of the dispossessed state. However, the alternative was annexation, part or in whole, which if protested as unlawful, a peace treaty was the only means to legitimize conquest in a time of war. Essentially, conquest itself was a legal act of extinguishing the legal rights of other states without their consent. Under this new framework, it is notable that conquest and subsequent occupation outside of war were illegal. In the post-World War II era, not all wars involving territorial acquisitions ended in a peace treaty. For example, the fighting in the Korean War paused with an armistice, without any peace treaty covering it. North Korea is still technically at war with South Korea and the United States as of 2021. The Discovery Doctrine, also called Doctrine of Discovery, is a concept of public international law expounded by the United States Supreme Court in a series of decisions, most notably Johnson v. McIntosh in 1823. Chief Justice John Marshall explained and applied the way that colonial powers laid claim to lands belonging to foreign sovereign nations during the Age of Discovery. Under it, European Christian governments could lay title to non-European Christian territory on the basis that the colonizers traveled and discovered said territory. The doctrine has been primarily used to support decisions in validating or ignoring aboriginal possession of land in favor of modern governments, such as in the 2005 case of Cheryl v. Oneida Nation. 
1823 case was the result of collusive lawsuits where land speculators worked together to make claims to achieve a desired result. John Marshall explained the court's reasoning. The decision has been the subject of a number of law review articles and has come under increased scrutiny by modern legal theorists. History The doctrine of discovery was promulgated by European monarchies in order to legitimize the colonization of lands outside of Europe. Between the mid-15th century and the mid-20th century, this idea allowed European entities to seize lands inhabited by indigenous peoples under the guise of discovering new land. In 1494, the Treaty of Tordesillas declared that only non-Christian lands could be colonized under the doctrine of discovery. In 1792, U.S. Secretary of State Thomas Jefferson claimed that this European doctrine of discovery was international law which was applicable to the new U.S. government as well. The doctrine and its legacy continue to influence American imperialism and treatment of indigenous peoples. Johnson v. McIntosh The plaintiff Johnson had inherited land, originally purchased from the Piankasha tribes. Defendant McIntosh claimed the same land, having purchased it under a grant from the United States. It appears that in 1775 members of the Piankasha tribe sold certain land in the Indiana Territory to Lord Dunmore, Royal Governor of Virginia and others. In 1805 the Piankasha conveyed much of the same land to William Henry Harrison, Governor of the Indiana Territory, thus giving rise to conflicting claims of title. In reviewing whether the courts of the United States should recognize land titles obtained from Native Americans prior to American independence, the court decided that they should not. Chief Justice John Marshall had large real estate holdings that would have been affected if the case were decided in favor of Johnson. Rather than recuse himself from the case, however, the Chief Justice wrote the decision for a unanimous Supreme Court. Decision Marshall found that ownership of land comes into existence by virtue of discovery of that land, a rule that had been observed by all European countries with settlements in the New World. Legally, the United States was the true owner of the land because it inherited that ownership from Britain, the original discoverer. Marshall noted, On the discovery of this immense continent, the great nations of Europe, as they were all in pursuit of nearly the same objective, it was necessary, in order to avoid conflicting settlements, and consequent war with each other, to establish a principle which all should acknowledge as the law by which the right of acquisition, which they all asserted, should be regulated as between themselves. This principle was that discovery gave title to the government by whose subjects, or by whose authority, it was made, against all other European governments, which title might be consummated by possession. The history of America, from its discovery to the present day, proves, we think, the universal recognition of these principles. Chief Justice Marshall noted the 1,455 papal bull Romanus Pontifex approved Portugal's claims to lands discovered along the coast of West Africa and the 1,493 inter had ratified Spain's right to conquer newly found lands, after Christopher Columbus had already begun doing so, but stated, Spain did not rest her title solely on the grant of the Pope. Her discussions respecting boundaries, with France, with Great Britain, and with the United States, all show that she placed it on the rights given by discovery. Portugal sustained her claim to the Brazils by the same title. United States Law Marshall pointed to the exploration charters given to the explorer John Cabot as proof that other nations had accepted the doctrine. The tribes which occupied the land were, at the moment of discovery, no longer completely sovereign and had no property rights but rather merely held a right of occupancy. Further, only the discovering nation or its successor could take possession of the land from the natives by conquest or purchase. 
The doctrine was cited in other cases as well. With Cherokee Nation v. Georgia, it supported the concept that tribes were not independent states but domestic dependent nations. The decisions in Oliphant v. Suquamish Indian tribe in Duro v. Reina used the doctrine to prohibit tribes from criminally prosecuting first non-Indians, then Indians who were not a member of the prosecuting tribe. The doctrine has been cited by the U.S. Supreme Court as recently as 2005, in City of Sherrill v. Oneida Indian Nation of New York. Writing for the majority, Ruth Bader Ginsburg stated that under the doctrine of discovery, fee title to the lands occupied by Indians when the colonists arrived became vested in the sovereign, first the discovering European nation and later the original states and the United States. Legal Critique As the Piankasha were not party to the litigation, no Indian voices were heard in a case which had, and continues to have, profound effects on Indian property rights. Professor Blake A. Watson of the University of Dayton School of Law finds Marshall's claim of universal recognition of the doctrine of discovery historically inaccurate. In reviewing the history of European exploration Marshall did not take note of Spanish-Dominican philosopher Francisco de Vitoria's 1532 de Indies nor de Jury Belli Hispanorum in Barbaros. Vitoria adopted from Thomas Aquinas the Roman law concept of jus gentium, and concluded that the Indians were rightful owners of their property and that their chiefs validly exercised jurisdiction over their tribes, a position held previously by Palacios Rubios. His defense of American Indians was based on a scholastic understanding of the intrinsic dignity of man, a dignity he found being violated by Spain's policies in the New World. However, the legal scholar Anthony Angius demonstrated that Vittoria after applying to the Indians the concept of use gentium then found them to be in violation of international law through their resistance to Spanish exploration and in missionary activities. By resisting Spanish incursions, Indians were, according to Vittoria, provoking war with the Spanish invaders, thus justifying Spanish conquest of Indian lands. Marshall also overlooked more recent American experience, specifically Roger Williams's purchase of the Providence Plantation. In order to forestall Massachusetts and Plymouth designs on the land, Williams subsequently traveled to England to obtain a patent which referenced the purchase from the natives. The Royal Charter of Rhode Island issued by Charles II acknowledged the rights of the Indians to the land. Nor does Justice Marshall seem to have taken note of the policy of the Dutch West India Company which only conferred ownership rights in New Netherland after the grantee had acquired title by purchase from the Indian owners, a practice also followed by the Quakers in Pennsylvania. Watson and others, such as Robert Williams Jr. suggest that Marshall misinterpreted the discovery doctrine as giving exclusive right to lands discovered, rather than the exclusive right to treaty with the inhabitants 17 thereof. Contemporary Advocacy Efforts Discovery doctrine has been severely condemned as socially unjust, racist, and in violation of basic and fundamental human rights. The United Nations Permanent Forum on Indigenous Issues, UNFI, noted the doctrine of discovery as the foundation of the violation of their, indigenous people, human rights. The 11th session of the UNFI, held at the UN's New York headquarters from the 7th 18 May 2012, had the special theme of the doctrine of discovery, its enduring impact on indigenous peoples and the right to redress for past conquests, Articles 28 and 37 of the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, and called for a mechanism to investigate historical land claims, with speakers observing that the doctrine of discovery had been used for centuries to expropriate indigenous lands and facilitate their transfer to colonizing or dominating nations. The General Convention of the Episcopal Church, conducted on 8th through the 17th of August 2009, 
passed a resolution officially repudiating the Discovery Doctrine. At the 2012 Unitarian Universalist Association General Assembly in Phoenix, Arizona, delegates of the Unitarian Universalist Association passed a resolution repudiating the doctrine of discovery and calling on Unitarian Universalists to study the doctrine and eliminate its presence from the current-day policies, programs, theologies, and structures of Unitarian Universalism. In 2013, at its 29th General Synod, the United Church of Christ followed suit in repudiating the doctrine in a near-unanimous vote. In 2014, Ruth Hopkins, a tribal attorney and former judge, wrote to Pope Francis asking him to formally revoke the Inter Sedera Bull of 1493. At the Synod, the 10th through the 17th June of 2016 in Grand Rapids, Michigan, delegates to the annual General Assembly of the Christian Reformed Church rejected the doctrine of discovery as heresy in response to a study report on the topic. At the 222nd General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church, USA 2016, commissioners called on members of the Church to confess the Church's complicity and repudiate the doctrine of discovery. The commissioners directed that a report be written reviewing the history of the doctrine of discovery, that report was approved by the 223rd General Assembly, 2018, along with recommendations for a variety of additional actions that could be taken by the Church at all levels to acknowledge indigenous peoples and to confront racism against them. In 2016, the Churchwide Assembly of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, ELCA, adopted Assembly Action CA February 16, 2004 entitled Repudiation of the Doctrine of Discovery by a Vote of 912-28, describing the Doctrine of Discovery as an example of the improper mixing of the power of the Church and the power of the sword. Later in 2016, on November 3, a group of 524 clergy publicly burned copies of Intercedera, a specific papal bull underpinning the doctrine, as part of the Standing Rock Pipeline protests. The Law School of America The content used in the podcast is licensed by the Wikimedia Foundation incorporated under a Creative Commons attribution, share alike license. The text has been modified for audio. The content of these podcasts is for informational purposes only and do not constitute professional advice. These podcasts are not associated with the Wikimedia Foundation in any context. The Law School of America